Do you remember when you were learning to ride a bicycle? You know, I don't know if kids ride bikes as much as we used to. Well, when we were kids, we rode bikes every day, everywhere. We were constantly on our bikes. But when you begin, you've got to learn to ride that bike. You know, it's not necessarily an easy thing. It takes some, some real learning and practice to learn to ride a bike. And probably initially, you had training wheels on your bike. When you were trying to learn to ride that two-wheeler, you know, you had training wheels for a while. But you outgrew those training wheels. You didn't need them anymore. And so I remember the day my dad took the training wheels off my bike. I I had outgrown them. I didn't need them anymore. You outgrow certain things. Remember when you were a kid, maybe at family dinners or gatherings? You know, you were one of the little kids. You had to sit over at the little table, you know. But after some time, you outgrew the little table. You got to sit at the big table with the grown-ups. You outgrew that situation. Or maybe uh, in, in these modern times, when we were kids, we didn't have car seats. But in this day, of course, the, the law mandates that children sit in car seats. But I'm sure the kids look forward to the time when they have reached an age and a weight limit wherein they have outgrown the car seats. They don't have to sit in a car seat anymore. You outgrow certain things. And that's good. All of that is, all that sort of thing is good and, and actually uh, something that we look forward to. But this morning we want to talk about something not good that people imagine they can outgrow. And it's not a good thing. Modern man has imagined that they have become too advanced, too intellectual, too educated and too sophisticated for the Bible. Modern men have imagined that they have outgrown their need for the Bible. And we want to address that this morning. And our question for study is simply this. Have men outgrown the Bible? I hope that you'll agree with me as we engage in this study. This is not a good thing when men think that they have outgrown the Bible. We'll talk about that for a few minutes here. Stop just briefly to say thanks for being present. We're glad for each and every one of you who are here. We have a number of visitors, a lot of visiting family members, and we're just glad for everybody who's here and able to be here on this very gorgeous Lord's Day morning in Middle Tennessee. It's a blessing for sure to be able to assemble together, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. As we study together, let's all make sure that we're that I am and that you understand that we are handling the Scriptures accurately, that we're not misusing the Word of God. But then, of course, the great challenge becomes to put everything into practice that we learn from His Word. Have men outgrown the Bible? I want to tell you that the answer to that is an emphatic no, unless you would be able to say certain things. For instance, have men outgrown the Bible? Well, if there's another source of spiritual food, maybe they have. But until there's another source for spiritual food, we need the Bible. In the news... We're hearing about food shortages. We're actually hearing more and more about food shortages. It's actually a little bit frightening when you think about it. And there are indications that uh, food shortages may get worse. Did you see some of the pictures in the news this week? Grocery store shelves where there would typically be baby formula completely bare. No baby formula. Parents of infant children are having trouble finding baby formula. That'd be a scary thing if you were if you were a parent and you had a child and you needed formula and you couldn't get it. We need food, man. I tell you, we're dependent on food, and it's not just babies who need food either. The rest of us need food uh, uh, to sustain our physical life. I was looking at some uh, statistics about the amount of food that an average American consumes in a lifetime. Do you know that? 
the average American will consume in a lifetime more than 35 tons of food. Is that a shocking number? Apparently that's true. I found that referenced on several different sites that that's how much food that we typically need and can, well, we may not need it all, but that's the amount of food that we consume. That would break down to several dozen cows, about 2,400 chickens, two or 300 pigs, 26 acres of grain, 50 acres of fruits and vegetables. We need food. We're only saying we are dependent upon food for our physical existence. But I want to tell you, it's even more important that we have spiritual food to sustain our souls. And we have it. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus is actually suggesting that there ought to be a hunger and thirst for matters of righteousness. That ought to be within us. We ought to have a natural longing for it. And notice, he gave a a promise. If you have such hunger, it can be filled. The, The hungering and thirsting after righteousness can be satisfied. The Word of God, of course, provides us with that spiritual nourishment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. I reference this here because it speaks of babes and milk, milk of the Word. I don't think this, I, I don't want to be misusing this verse. I don't think it's speaking to newborn Christians. I don't think it's talking about babes in Christ exclusively. I think we all should have that craving for the Word of God that a baby has for, for milk. That's what Peter is saying here. But I just want to emphasize that there's a, there's a reference to the milk of the Word, but in other places, like Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it talks about the meat, those who... Uh, but strong meat belongs to those that are of full age. And so just putting that all together, I want to just make the point that whatever your state of spiritual maturity is, the Word of God is suitable to provide the nourishment that you need. Whether you're a babe and you're just uh, still digesting the milk of the Word, or whether you're a full-grown, mature Christian, and you're able to handle the meat of the Word, whatever the case may be, The Word of God provides that spiritual nourishment. And we need it. And we will continue to need it unless we find some other source of spiritual food. We're going to continue to need the Bible and we have not outgrown it. Men have not outgrown the Bible unless they no longer face temptation. Were you tempted any this past week? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But my guess is that we would see everybody, or effectively everybody, everybody of accountable age would raise their hands and say, sure, there were temptations this week. We know that that's the case. That's not surprising. We're not surprised that we are tempted. That's just a reality of living life in this present world. Temptation is real. Even Jesus was tempted. Uh, We look to the familiar text in Matthew chapter 4. We don't have time to read and study that whole Account and won't try to do so. But remember that Jesus was tempted of the devil. And you remember very well there were three forms of temptation that came to him. And in every instance he responded in the same way. He, he said, it is written. And again, he said, it is written. And again, he said, it is written. 
When Jesus was tempted, what did he use? What was the source of strength that he had in resisting Satan and combating that temptation? He resisted temptation by using the strength of the Word of God. And that's the way it can be, and that's the way it should be for us. And so again, we're just going to simply make the point that as long as you're living in this present world, and as long as you are tempted, because you will be tempted while living in this present world, you have not outgrown your need for the Bible. Unless you're not tempted, and if you're willing to say, I don't, have, I don't face temptation anymore, unless you can say that honestly, and I, don't, I know you can't, then you're going to continue to need the Bible. Men have not outgrown the Bible unless there's a different cure for sin. Let's say that you have been diagnosed with some deadly disease. I mean, it is, it is a, a disease that's effectively 100% fatal. You get this disease, you will die. Unless you get this particular prescription drug that the doctor can provide for you. And so you've been diagnosed with this deadly disease and you're going to die. But the the doctor has written you a prescription that will cure you of that disease so that you don't need to die. What would you do with that prescription? Would you just wad it up and throw it away? Would you stick it on a back shelf somewhere uh, where you probably forget where it's even located anymore? Absolutely not. Of course not. Uh, if, if you have the cure for a fatal disease, you're going to cherish that. You're going to value it. Well, let us suggest to you that that's what the Bible is. Uh, we were just talking about temptation. And sadly, temptation sometimes progresses to sin. And what can we do about sin? Well, the Bible is the, is the answer. The Bible has the cure In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah described the horrible condition of Judah prior to their captivity by the Babylonians. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. That's a pretty graphic picture that Isaiah paints there. He wasn't talking about the physical condition of the people of Judah. He was talking about their spiritual condition. And that's the, that's the kind of gross condition that sin causes. Uh, and, and we need to see ourselves in that. We need to see that this is what sin does to us too. This is a very graphic description of the terrible condition that those people were back so many centuries ago. But that description is still appropriate to us. This is what sin does. This is what it causes in us. This is sin disease. And this is the, is this the manifestation of it. So what do you do? Because you are in that situation. I'm in that situation. That description of Isaiah fits us because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the reality. And so we are sin sick. We need a cure. Because if we don't, the wages of sin is death. If we don't get the cure, because we've all got the disease, if we don't get the cure... We're going to die eternally, but we can be so grateful and thankful that the Bible provides the needed prescription. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You've never outgrown it. You, you, you should cherish this spiritual prescription for spiritual health, because without it, you will die eternally. And so as long as there's 
no better or different cure for sin. We're going to need the Bible. We've not outgrown it. Again, I would argue that men have not outgrown the Bible unless they have found more effective weapons against Satan. We've all been watching in the last couple of months this war between Russia and Ukraine. And we've been watching with really some horror of the kinds of scenes of warfare and the the, the devastation that's caused by the weapons that men use. You know, men have been pretty ingenious through the centuries of devising more and more potent and powerful weapons of war. They cause greater, uh, greater harm and destruction and death. Uh, that's unfortunately one of the, one of the very uh, effective skills that men have learned. You know, as you've listened to the news in recent weeks, the Ukraine, the government in Ukraine has been begging other countries of the world to send them more weaponry and more powerful weapons. And so here's a, here's a country under attack, and their appeal is, we need weapons. We're under attack. We're in a war. We need weapons to fight this war. That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know. I don't know what, how you stand on the war in your, Ukraine, whether how much we should, as a country, be involved in all of that. I don't know. That's a political thing, I'm sure, to ask. But we understand the point that they're making, right? That if, if the, the, the government of Ukraine is saying, if we're going to engage this war... We need weapons to fight the war. Send us weapons. That's what they're saying. We understand that. In a battle, you need weapons. Well, we are in a great spiritual battle with Satan and his forces. Uh, uh, In Revelation chapter 12, this is an interesting passage here. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. We won't go into all the figurative description that's available in that context, but it basically talks about the Christ being born into the world. And when he was, Satan became furious. The reason Satan became furious was because he understood that his time was limited. Uh, he, he was doomed. The Messiah had come. Salvation would be available. And so Satan was furious and went off to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Satan is going to make war. Who's he going to make war with? With those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus? Who is that? Well, that's us, right? So here you have this very powerful being, Satan, and he's mad. He's angry. Actually, he knows his time is limited. He has to do as much damage as he possibly can in the time that he has to do it. And so he's making war. Uh, and, and the ones he's making war with, those are us. Those of us who are trying to keep the commandments of God, those of us who are holding to the testimony of Jesus, Satan is targeting us. So you're in a battle. Just like we were saying about a physical battle, when you're in a physical battle, you've got to have weapons if you're going to fight the war. We're in a spiritual battle. We need weapons to fight the war. You better be armed in this great spiritual battle, and thankfully we are. In the text that Mitchell read for us from Ephesians chapter 6, Beginning verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that, notice, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So if you're going to stand against the devil, you need the whole armor of God. He goes on to enumerate it. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we studied this text not so long ago in our, in our Wednesday Bible class, we studied this text. You can see, you can actually make a connection between each one of those elements of the whole armor of God with the Word of God. They are all either directly or indirectly related to the Word of God. And that being the case, as long as this war with Satan continues, you you will not, you have not, you will not be able to say, I've outgrown the Bible because you need that weaponry in the great spiritual battle that we're fighting. Have men outgrown the Bible? Well, not unless there's a better map to heaven. I was in a store the other day with some other folks and there near the checkout cash register there was a a book rack and in the book rack were some atlases, some of those big old printed paper atlases. And we kind of joked about that and said, boy, the market for these things has effectively disappeared, right? I guess they're still printing atlases. I can't imagine anybody buying atlases and using them. I'll tell you, I haven't looked at a paper map in in years. I, I want my phone, don't you? I, I want the navigation on my phone. Uh, I, I want that GPS guidance, you know, that, that is, is so effective. I don't want to go, I don't want a paper map anymore. I've got something better than it. I've got a much better map and I carry it around in my pocket all the time. We want that, right? We want good maps. Let me tell you, spiritually speaking, we should want, because we need, a good map to heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life. Notice, and there are few who find it. Notice that. Notice that last expression. You've got to find it. There's a, there's a, a small, narrow way that leads to eternal life, and you need to find it. There won't be a lot of people who do. You want to be among the few who find it. Well, that would imply to us that going to heaven is not necessarily just an easy thing. It's not easy to find the way to heaven. You need a good map. You need adequate and and, uh, effective guidance. And the scriptures provide that. God's word is that map. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so, as long as you are on this road of life, you have not outgrown your need for the Bible. So, we need food. We're facing temptation. Temptation sometimes leads to sin. We need weapons in fighting against Satan. We want to go to heaven. All of those things, every one of those things, surely emphasizes uh, that we have not outgrown the Bible. It's not like taking training wheels off your bicycle. You're still needing what the Bible provides. You have not outgrown it. Finally, let me argue that men have not outgrown the Bible unless there's some way that they can find meaning to life without the Bible. You know, men, and, and you can see it in the secular writings of men, men through the ages have struggled to understand what this life is all about. And so they they, they struggle with the question about how, how did we get here anyway? How, how did we happen to come into existence? So how, how did we get here? Why are we here? Where are we going? 
Those are some of the most fundamental questions of life. And they are basically asking, what's the real meaning of life? What's the meaning of life anyway? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that question. It really gives the only adequate answer to that question. We've often talked about it. Solomon, who in the book of Ecclesiastes basically wrote about his pursuit for an answer to that question, the meaning of life. What's this all about? What's life about? What's the meaning of our existence here on earth? And we've often pointed out that Solomon was in a very unique position to be able to experiment with every conceivable answer to that question. What's the meaning of life? And he pursued everything. Uh, He had the money to do it, quite possibly. Never heard anyone being able to effectively argue against this conclusion. Quite possibly, Solomon was the richest man who ever lived in the history of the world. So he had at his disposal the resources to pursue everything. He could pursue all kinds of physical uh, accomplishments, buildings and and pursuits of, of that sort. He could gratify every kind of fleshly desire that he could imagine, and he did. And he pursued all those things, and he found no satisfaction in any of them. Now, we're not going to be able to pursue all the kind of things that Solomon did, but we ought to be smart enough to learn from his lesson. He did it all, and none of it brought satisfaction and meaning to his life, and he concluded with these famous words in Ecclesiastes 12, beginning verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Again, uh, you are not going to discover a different or better answer to the question. Solomon couldn't. He couldn't come up with a better answer. The meaning of life, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That actually brings meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction to life. And you will never outgrow it. And so we are talking about men in general, but we're talking about you and me in particular. We've not outgrown the Bible. Uh, And the fact of the matter is we need to take advantage of everything that the Bible provides for us. Really in our lesson this morning, if, if you think about it, what we've been saying is look at all the good that's available to us by virtue of the Bible and we need to take advantage of it. We really need to appreciate what God has done for us through his inspired word. Thanks for listening. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to prepare and sing a song of invitation. And we want to ask you, have you understood the Bible? You understand your need for the truth revealed in the Bible? And have you complied with the message of God's Word? It is so vitally important. If you are not a Christian yet, if you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, we would urge you to make that decision. Hear, believe, repent. Confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized for the remission of sins. That puts us in a covenant relationship with God, forgiven of past sins, with the hope of going to heaven in eternity. If you haven't done that, We hope you would make that decision. If you need more information, though, we understand you may have questions. We'd be anxious to sit down with you and and open our Bibles and seek out the answers to those questions in the Word of God. If we can help you that way, let us know. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away from faithfully serving the Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.